welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode number 97 for Saturday the 21st of April 2018. This is one of those weird time slip episodes. It'll go live when I'm in London at a cryptocurrency conference, which is how I'm spending my entire weekend learning about something brand new. Uh, Really looking forward to that. Uh, But that has nothing to do with writing, of course. Other than that, uh, on the Alliance of Independent Authors last week, they released their blockchain uh, for authors white paper. And it's now possible to actually publish your book on the blockchain and to take 97, 98% of the earnings from that book and that they would be paid immediately upon a sale to your cryptocurrency wallet. So I'm not going to go down that alleyway on this particular podcast diary, but there are lots of interesting things uh, coming for authors. And I did my first cryptocurrency talk to businesses this week. And one of the things I'm advising people now, uh, and clearly because I'm a bit geeky about these things, I like this kind of thing. Um, these things come on my radar probably earlier than, than they do um, for the general population, if you want. I was saying to businesses, look, it might feel really geeky and horrible at the moment, but actually this is something that you should just put on your radar. You don't need to be investing in it. You don't need to be reading everything on it. Um, but don't shut down when you hear the word blockchain. And in actual fact, for authors, it's here right now. We could do it right now and benefit from it right now. So if you don't like giving Amazon 30% of your royalties, then you can sell through a new blockchain-based author system, which is called Publica, and take 97, I think it was 98% of your royalties immediately into your cryptocurrency wallet. Now, clearly it's early days with that system. Clearly it's not quite perfect yet, but it is possible to do it right now. This isn't something that's happening in five years' time. This is something that's actually influencing us as, as authors um, right now, potentially. So um, I'll be doing an interview on it for the cryptocurrency podcast. I won't do it for this podcast because I don't want to get all geeked out on this podcast. But um, just to let you know that that will be coming. And I'll, I'll mention it on here, but I'm not going to go into it in any great detail on this podcast because uh, you don't want to hear about it. It's for writing. It's not for tech. So With that said, let's get on with the writing. Um, And Who to Trust is due out on the 31st of May. And I got it back from the proofreader uh, today, actually, first thing this morning. It popped up in Facebook. So if you remember with Who to Trust, this is my seventh thriller. And uh, it was going to go to Helen for Zafran edit. It would would have been there now, but for for various domestic reasons, Helen had to, uh, to pull out of that. So what I decided to do with it is I decided to... Uh, just send it for a proofread and to not hyper edit it this time so you know within reason I've written 14 books now so hopefully I have a reason hopefully Touchwood he says I have a reasonable idea um, you know of, of, of a plot that works and it's had uh, beta readers over it too, which I mentioned in a moment or two. So with this one, I'm, I'm going to go through a beta read process and a proofreader, and it's going to be released a lot rawer. So my my voice in this one will be a lot more distinctive than perhaps it has been in the others. Perhaps it's been flattened through the editing. I just want to try that. I want to try it for a thriller uh, and see how we get on with that. So it came back from the proofreader 
uh, today, which was fantastic. Uh, but bang on time. Now, um, I think I'm going to have three beta readers over it. So this has been read by me, my wife. It's been read by the, the proofreader. It's been read currently by two beta readers, and I'm expecting a report back from a third beta reader uh, beforehand. So it would have been through six sort of pairs of eyes, if you want, before it gets published. Now, um, one of those beta readers was Sarah Hardy. Now, Sarah, if you remember rightly, um, works for Bloodhound Books and has has done reading for Bloodhound Books as well. And Sarah, when I interviewed her for the podcast, said, I'm quite happy to, to read your version one books and give you my feedback on them. So um, I, of course, took her up on that. Um, because I mean, I, Sarah is somebody's opinion who I, I really, really value. Number one, because she was doing the process that I'm about to go through with my Project Bloodhound, i.e. reading books and saying in, out, in, out, that, that kind of system. Uh, but also, she's one of these uh, ladies who's really, really you know, she knows her thrillers. She reads so many thrillers. It's unbelievable. I couldn't possibly keep up with her. So she really knows that genre very, very well. So um, Sarah's like a super beta reader, as far as I'm concerned, in that she's just so um, thoroughly immersed in that genre of book. So um, Sarah sent feedback back uh, this week. Uh, I think it was yesterday it came in, uh, for which I'm extremely grateful. One of the things that Sarah said in her first sentence was she, she really liked the way I began and ended it. And the way I began and ended it was the thing I was most worried about. So she couldn't have said a more perfect thing to me. Uh, you know, I, I really like the way you began and ended it. Uh, because I, sometimes when you write books, you stick your, your, your neck on the line, you try something a little bit different. Uh, and I did. And I wasn't sure about that beginning and ending. If you've listened to these podcast diaries, you'll know that I've said about that, that I, I was a little bit worried about it. So for Sarah, I didn't flag that up to Sarah beforehand. So for her independently to come back and say, like the beginning and ending, I thought, right, fantastic. That's just what I needed to hear to give my confidence a boost. Cause those were the bits that I was fretting about. I wasn't at all worried about anything after the, you know, the, the, the stuff in the middle, not at all worried about that. It was just that beginning and ending because it was just it was just a slightly not different style different way of doing things nothing too radical but I was a little bit concerned about it so I've had another beta reader back who said really love the book um has gone through giving me sort of um you know uh writing spelling errors uh, and corrections that need to be made which is fab um, Sarah said a couple of things about the uh not the plot but the way I'd laid it out because I have um they're not flashbacks but they're they're conversations of things that happened before the main action and she felt that they needed um flagging up being clearer i've had this before actually i think it was in the last book helen fazar said i wasn't entirely clear where we were label it a bit better so i've had that feedback before interestingly so i will label it a bit better that's it's you know this is feedback i don't mind at all because it's something i can fix just like that it's really easy fix um what else did sarah say um she made another comment Um, no it was just um just a little technical thing again uh, nothing, uh, you know, nothing that involves the whole rewriting of the book, just a point made. And you think, yeah, that's fine. I'll clarify that. I can make that, uh, much clearer. So, um, again, very relieved not to have had, you know, horrendous feedback, um, from Sarah. They're just very practical, uh, easy points that just make it clearer for the reader. She just said, I got a bit confused here. Maybe just clear this up. That's great. That's just the kind of feedback that I want because I could do, um, you know, it's, it's very easy for me to, to, to change. Um, so that's good. Hopefully we'll get one more beta read uh, back before that book has to go out. I'm working on it uh, next week because I'm away this weekend um, and I will give it my kind of fi- final run through, final read 
Uh, and then it will publish. It's, it's a little bit frustrating uh, that I had to change my plans because originally I wanted to publish this book on the 3rd of May and it would have been ready for the 3rd of May under this new scenario. It wasn't going to be ready for the end of May under the original scenario. So I pushed the publication date back to 31st of May. Frankly, it's just going to be sat there gathering dust for a month when I could have released it. So, you know, that's just... Sometimes we have to change plans. Other people have to change their plans. A little bit frustrating in that it will be ready to go for the 3rd of May. But uh, la di da, you know, it'll it'll just have to get released on the 31st of May. And as you know, um, you know, I, I'm really bad at releasing them. I don't do anything pre-release anyway. They just, the release date is just a notional date where the book flops out. I kind of do promotion on it after it's released, not, not around the release. Uh, you know, it's not as if I got thousands of people waiting with bated breath for the next Paul Teague thriller. Um, so it will go through the usual process, which is that, um, it'll get released. And I, at some point will batch it in a promo on free books or something like that and start to get some reviews over it. That's just kind of how I, I'm doing it or how I do it. Now I know, I know it's not brilliant. I know it's not best practice, but that's just how it works uh, for me. Um, so that'll be done next week. And so I decided that because I've, I've very super planned the available writing days I have. So Project Bloodhound is going to be a 90,000 word thriller. I want to have it done by the summer holidays. And to be honest with you, you know, if it went a day or two into the summer holidays, no one's going to die. Uh, this is just me setting, um, deadlines, but I, I've, I've uh, allocated now 20 writing days in between when um, Who to Trust is finished and the summer holidays. Uh, and I've got a 90,000 word first draft novel to write during that time. And then I will edit it at my leisure over the six weeks of the school summer holidays. And then it's due to a development editor at the beginning of September. That's what's coming next for me. So I am keen to get Who to Trust out the way so I can download all those sort of files in my head and then just focus on just one book and just focus on the the project bloodhound book and that's what I will be doing so my my writing dates are um I think the very latest I can start to write I've marked this on my diary is the 10th of May that's Thursday the 10th of May but I'm hoping I will be ready to write on Friday the 5th of May that's what I'm hoping for um, I've got lots of ideas, you know, going round and round in the head at the moment. And at some point, I will need to tie one of these down and I will need to get writing it and just get on with it. Now, interestingly, because I've got this time for the story, I've got all these ideas floating around. I've got several ideas at the moment, that all of which would work as a story. And it's interesting, I was saying to my wife today, if I was writing, if I wasn't away this weekend and I had to write tomorrow, I would sit down and I would start to write the darn story. I would pick one and I would start to write the darn story and I would make it work. So I, I am aware that this this thinking time is very lovey um, of me. And um, But I, you know, I, I, I do want all these ideas to swirl around. I'm thinking about where I want it to be. I'm thinking about whether I want to just in a very light way bring in characters from the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. Got all these things um, messing around. So I am going to do a little bit of a little bit of note taking today. But I've I've uh, put Thursday the twenty sixth of April, which is next Thursday. That is down as a sort of super planning day. Well, I'll bring all this down into locations and everything like that. And I'm hoping I will be ready to write on the 5th of May but if not I got another weekend to work on it but the 10th I must start by the 10th of May because I'm out of squares to shuffle if I want this book written by the summer holidays then so um, it's interesting it has if you want built in more procrastination but I am aware that if you said to me you've got to start writing tomorrow Paul I would sit down I would pull one of those 
broad ideas I've got down from the ether, I would cast it, I would locate it, um, and make it work and start writing. So, um, you know, I, I know I'm playing around with time. It does feel funny not writing at the moment. I am getting sort of itchy fingered. I, I, I really keen to, to, to decide what my blasted idea is and just get right at the thing and just get on with it. Um, because I'm, I'm keen to start uh, writing again now. Um, because Easter holidays ended, uh, on Monday. We're back to our weekly routine now. And when we're back to our weekly routine, that's when I like to be sitting down, uh, and writing. So, um, that, that's how the, the book is. Uh, we'll get to that. I'll let you know when I start writing. And then fairly intensively, you're going to see me hopefully pluck a 90,000 word thriller, uh, out of thin air, uh, by the time we reach about, I think it's about the third week of July. Then I'll obviously catalogue that on this podcast diary, let you know the ups, the downs, the blocks, the problems, all of those sorts of things. And I'm quite relieved actually, uh, though I'm extremely excited about it that I haven't seen the covers from Stuart Bache yet. Now, if you remember, I'm, I'm going to get the covers from Stuart Bache for the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. I'm really excited about it because I was looking at my briefing note to him today thinking, oh, wow, I can't wait to get some really quality covers on these books. I'm really quite excited about that. And then when I've got those covers on the books, I'll get them uploaded to Amazon and then I'm, I'm going straight in um, for my uh, book bub, hopefully a second book bub on those thrillers. So I'm all very excited about it, but I just, <laughs> I just need to get the earnings from Amazon in this month. Uh, I've run things pretty lean for various reasons. And I, um, when it's end of tax year, that's why I always, I, I sort of take a lot of money or I take my money out of the business at the end of the year and run it down to zero. Um, it just makes the accounts easier. And, um, and so I just need to get some money in this month. So I, I got some money coming in at the end of the month. So I'm hoping Stuart doesn't deliver these covers and they're brilliant and I have to pay him um, straight away just for cash flow purposes. So um, there is no cash flow in at the moment because I took everything down to zero on the 5th of um, on the fifth of April. So I just got to get some invoices in and things like that and I can start paying my bills again. Um, so at the t- same time as being excited, really excited to see these three covers, um and this this great air of expectation because i'm just hoping you know i'm really hoping because they're with stuart i'm gonna look at these things and they'll be hot th- you know hot thriller covers and that I, I i i'm hoping that i look at them and think you know wow wow fantastic um but obviously they're going to be paid for when i sign them off so uh i really need to pay for them in about a week's time and then i'll i'll be good to go when we got some invoice payments in so um timing timing is crucial with this uh, but I'll let you know when, when they're in and signed off, but I'm very excited about that. And as I say, it, it's, it's tinged with also, uh, trepidation because when I send that application off for a book bug promo, there's absolutely no guarantee that I'm going to get a second one on the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. I'm just hoping like heck that I do. And I'm hoping that the covers, uh, if I do get one, will make it, you know, really fly again and it will be a good income generator. It would really help me at this moment in time to do that um now uh, just to let you know about earnings my earnings are up but they're not they're not exciting again so the baseline of my earnings is up um the little promos i did the other week actually have have brought in more sales and have brought in uh, people are buying other books as a result of the promo that i told you about in last week's uh, diary but the the sales aren't exciting they're just simply not exciting enough at the moment and and you know, again, I need more impetus on there. The Amazon ads aren't really doing anything in particular. Um, you know, not, not really boosting things. So, um, 
I could really do with a book bub at the moment to to help to move things on. Uh, and as you know, I got a plan for that. Covers first, book bub application next, and then either tears or cheers, depending on whether book bub uh, accept me uh, for that. Um, the second promo for my sci-fi novels is out next week. Now, when I talked to to John Cronshaw, he recommended a site to me called Book Barbarian. Again, if you remember last week's diary, I said to you, when I was booking for Book Barbarian, which was the one that John recommended to me, I found out that they had this this thriller version, which was a lot cheaper than Book Barbarian. So I put the thrillers on there. And as I told you last week, you know, we shifted lots of free books. Um, and, and actually, I am seeing a read through. Um, I've seen a lift this week in the sales. And they're buying, or they're yeah, they're yeah, they're buying and reading the books that came from that last promo that I did last week. So although it was, um, it didn't set the world on fire, I have seen a benefit from those uh, promos on the thrillers. But next week I'm doing uh, sci-fi novels, and this was the first thing I did. John said, "Oh, Book Barbarian had worked really well for him. Um, with Book Barbarian, he'd put one book on for free, and another book on for ninety-nine pence or ninety-nine cents, and that's what I've done. So." Um, because phase six kind of flopped out there and I didn't do anything with it, I've put phase six on a free promo with Book Barbarian from Thursday. And my I, I've also got a sort of follow-up book on promo, which is the grid one, and I've reduced that down to 99 pence and 99 cents. And then on Friday, I will put phase six on a free booksy promo. And as you know, I love free booksy. It always shifts, well, thousands of books. Um, I call it the poor person's the poor author's version of bookbub because you can always get a free book so you can't always get a bookbub and free books you know frankly while i haven't been getting bookbubs has, has done well to just get my income up when i when i do a free booksy and i have to qualify this is that when i do a free booksy on a trilogy um i generally get a thousand dollar month out of it i can generally squeeze a thousand dollar income month out of it now things are slightly different with this because with last week's promo I'm trying to get reads and activity on books that I haven't really done anything with yet. So last week, the lead book was um, Dead of Night. It certainly got Dead of Night into lots of hands, and I've seen much more activity on Dead of Night this week. But it was also to get some activity on One Fatal Error, which is it has also succeeded in doing. And at some point, I'll put One Fatal Error on a free book promo to just get you know, thousands of people's, get it onto thousands of people's Kindles to just get those reviews and that activity on uh, that book. So with this week, the the, the grid is actually, uh, you know, a good little, it ticks along nicely, the grid. Um, but if you remember with my sci-fi books, I wrote phase six as a standalone, as a as a gateway drug, as I heard John heard Cronshaw talk about it today. It's a good way of describing it as the gateway drug to the secret bunker trilogy and the grid trilogy. So this is the first time I've properly promoted phase six. Um, and again, you know, what I want to do is to get it into thousands of people's hands. Uh, I want to get some reviews on it and I want people then hopefully to be introduced to the worlds of the secret bunker and the grid trilogy, which are both promoted very strongly through phase six, um, that the story continues in the grid trilogy and you get the kind of prequel story in the secret bunker trilogies. So I've knitted all the worlds together. So I don't know how it'll go. Um, It'll certainly get some books out there, that's for sure. Um, um, and but well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll let you know. Um, yeah, I'll let you know next week's diary because I'll have some pretty good results on it. I think. When am I recording next week's diary? Yeah, I should have some pretty good results on it by then. I can certainly give you my initial impressions of it at that stage. 
Okay, so um, where are we now? I'm uh, Project Bloodhound is continuing. That's taking along. Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to tell you about the Project Bloodhound book is that uh, what popped into my feed today is that the Richard and Judy are doing their their kind of annual competition, their annual search for a bestseller. And I think it was it was last year or the year before, maybe last year. I thought, oh, I'd like to put Don't Tell Meg into that. Then I read the rules and I was ranted away because if it had been self-published, you weren't allowed to um, submit it. Um, but reading the rules this year, and I have, um, I've printed them out. They're actually sitting on the printer as I talk to you now for me to go through with a fine tooth comb. Because I'm sure, if I remember rightly, somebody said to me, they pointed out a little bit of small print in the rules last year. I thought, oh, darn, I can't do this. Um, at a cursory read of this year's rules, I can do it. So as far as I can see from this year's rules, I can be a self-published author, but I must not have self-published the the book that I'm submitting to Richard and Judy. So this year, and again, I got to I got to study the T and C's, but at a cursory read, it looks like I'm good to go with them. So um, I think Richard and Judy they need it in by June, the first ten thousand words. So the the time scale suits me well with Project Bloodhound because I'll have the first ten thousand words written by the end of May, for instance, and I can polish those and put those through a proofreader and submit the first ten thousand words of the book because it's not going to be self-published by me as the other books have been. I, it's not on this fast rolling program where I write and get them out, write and get them out. I've I've broken from that now with Project Bloodhound and, and the next book I'm going to write hopefully up till Christmas in that um, Project Bloodhound uh, isn't even going to be developmentally edited um, and ready to be looked at until Christmas. So um, I can quite happily in the meantime submit 10,000 words to Richard and Judy and just see if we get a bite. You know, you never know. Might get a bite. I've very low expectations of it, but we'll I'll, I'll throw my hat into the ring uh, and give it a try. And um, when I get the almost inevitable knockback from Richard and Judy, uh, th- then that won't matter because I'll still be on my tra- trajectory, trajectory, if I can say it, to submit it to Bloodhound in January 2019. Uh, but I thought, well, that, you know, that, that fits this year. Uh, subject to a read of the small print in there, I think it's okay for me to submit it. So as far as I could say, I'm allowed to be a self-published author. The book that I'm writing and submitting just mustn't have been self-published or, or, or sent to anybody in any form. Well, it won't have been by the time I need to submit it. So I might as well do it. Give it a try. Throw my hat into the ring. You never know. I might have come up with the idea that, um, gets Richard and Judy sort of intoxicated with the potentials of the plot. Uh, and that would also be a great result, of course, wouldn't it? So um, I am going to go um, for that subject, as I say, to that final read of the TNCs. Okay, um, I'm going to be doing a Weatherspoons uh, on my second Twitter account at the end of May. Actually, I'm doing it on a couple of accounts this year. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm a bit, a bit bored of social media, uh, you know, doing promos and things like that. I'm just a little bit... When I do the social media promos for the, the podcast, I, I'm just a bit tired of it, to be honest with you. And um, I have got quite a lot of social channels. Um, and, and I don't know, again, if, if you're a real kind of diehard listener to this diary, you, you'll you'll know that I, I had a second Twitter channel, which I'd done. It's called At Secret Bunker Fan. The Twitter channel I've had since 2009 is at Paul Teague UK. So I've had that for years. Uh, That's my sort of mothership channel, if you want, the one I always go to. But if you remember, we did a little experiment with uh, Ian Sutherland uh, with my unloved At Secret Bunker Fan channel. And we used Ian's product to to get the numbers up on that. And it worked brilliantly. You know, it it doubled the numbers on my 
um, original Twitter feed, the Paul Teague UK Twitter feed. But, um, you know, having done that, it's a pretty, I didn't continue the, the, the service that, that he had offers. And I think really to make the, the, the best of it, you've got to be kind of all over it. And I, I always did it as an experiment for this podcast and it, and it, and it proved it in that, you know, we, we added zillions of targeted followers in a very small amount of time. Um, so mission accomplished in that respect, but, but now it's become like this second channel where frankly, I'm just duplicating everything I do. And the Paul Teague UK channel was always the one that I, it's always the one I, if I post something personal, if I post on Twitter, that's always the channel I go to. So um, what I'm going to do, I, I just want to ditch some channels, basically. I just want to rationalize my channel. So I got one Twitter, you know, pretty well, probably one Facebook. I might, might, I might keep two Facebooks for a reason I'll tell you in a moment. Um, and, and one LinkedIn. So I just really want to rationalize channels. I'm just fed up sort of posting across so many channels and often it's just duplicate um, content. Um, so you might say it's counterintuitive to to ditch the channel that has twice as many uh, followers as the Paul T UK one does, but I've always felt that the Paul T UK one was the one that I was most engaged on. It's always the one that I've uh, pushed most. So that, that's the one that's good to stay. So I'm going to begin warning messages on at Secret Bunker Fan to say this channel's closing. If you, you know, if you've half an interest in what I'm tweeting, you need to move over to at Paul Teague UK now. Uh, that's going to be the channel that, that stays. And I will just delete that Secret Bunker Fan, um, at the end of May, having give, uh, given enough warnings about it. The, the other channel that I've sort of hung on to for dear life, uh, mainly because it's always worked well. Um, for training, for Facebook training, which I've also told you that I'm looking at just reducing right down now, um, the, the training that I'm doing. So, or, or at least switching it to things that I don't have to spend my life trying to keep up with. Um, so I'll, I'll still be using Facebook for myself. It's just about the, the sort of teaching of it. Cause I, when I do it for myself, I can keep up with it. I have no trouble with it. I can figure it out. Um, when you train it, you've got to know your way around it in a much, at a much higher level. So I'm quite happy sitting there figuring it out for myself. You know, it's no, it's no trouble at all for me, but I don't want to keep on top of it to be able to train other people. That's the difference. You've got to be really hyper on top of it because people are sending questions at you left, right and center. So I, that, that's the thing that I don't want to do anymore. Uh, not with Facebook anyway. So, um, I have a channel which is a Clixio channel. And it's got about, let's go and click to it now. It's got about 5,000 uh, people, likes, whatever it is on Facebook. Um, followers, is it? Whatever it is. Likes, whatever it is. Um, 5,000 and something on that page. Um, Facebook, again, Facebook changes so much. Oh, 5,514 likes. Now, and, and 5,270 followers on, on, on that page. So, um, you know, clearly, um, people who are trying to build up a Facebook page will get very excited about that. That was my original Facebook page from sort of way back when I was doing internet marketing. But, but, you know, I don't really post anything on it anymore. Um, and so I, I use it really as a, if you want, when I'm training Facebook, because it's nice to show a page where you've got five and a half thousand people on it. But, you know, I'm not doing anything with it now. I don't really have anything to flog through that page or anything to say, uh, particularly because I'm not doing internet marketing anymore. Uh, you know, I'm reducing the teaching I do with geeky stuff. So um, that might as well go. So I think I've got one more Facebook training session uh, booked in before the summer holidays 
Facebook uh, sort of ads and marketing. Um, so I'll do that session and then I'm deleting that page and that's gone forever uh, then. Uh, but it's only really there as a, if you want to, you know, for vanity purposes that when I'm using it as an example, it's quite, it's always, it's always nicer in terms of your credentials to have a page where you can show that you've built it up to five and a half thousand likes rather than my author pages, which are, you know, much, much less than that because I don't really do anything with them. Um, so that will leave me when the Clixio page goes, that will leave me with uh, my author Facebook page. Um, which again doesn't have an awful lot of likes on because I, I don't particularly do anything with it, to be honest with you. Um, the truth of it is Facebook used to be brilliant. It's not anymore. You've got to pay. You've got to, pay. You've got to pay on Facebook. Um, so it's, it's not that brilliant anymore, to be honest with you. You know, the, the organic reach is right down. Most people don't see your posts, uh, on Facebook. And to be honest with you, I keep that, I'll keep the author presence and I have a self-publishing journeys presence as well. Um, Probably because I kind of auto post on self-publishing journeys, it can it can just sit there. I don't really put much on it, other than um, it auto posts the latest episode uh, from Libsyn. So I, I don't manually post that; it gets auto posted. So um, how many followers have we got on that page? Not very many. Um, yeah, sixty-four. It's neither here nor there, really, uh, is it? So uh, I may uh, continue it, or I may kill that one but I don't do anything with it other than auto post the episodes um, onto it. Uh, And as far as my author uh, page is concerned, again, I think that's 200 and something, if I remember rightly on there, that's okay. You know, in a small way, 279 likes, 293 followers. That's, you know, okay. As an author page, don't really do anything with it. uh, Again, you know, really I'm finding that my author activity is is on that main Twitter feed. That's where I get the most interest and the most interaction. Um, so I'm I'm just looking at really boiling it down and rationalising it. So I'm not posting the same old stuff across multiple channels. Um, so I'll make a decision about the self publishing journeys podcast channel. But again, frankly, that might really just as well go through my author channel. Um, I, I I guess. So I, I might. I, I think what I'm looking at ending up with is one Twitter channel. For, for writing um, and self-publishing, all that sort of stuff. One one Facebook channel and one channel uh, on LinkedIn and, and YouTube. And that, frankly, will probably do me. And then it won't drive me spare having to, to duplicate content. Now, what's, what's forced this? If you use Buffer, I've done my scheduling through Buffer before. And what's forced this for me is, is it's driving me mad is that Twitter has stopped you sending the same post to multiple channels through Buffer. Uh, and that means, frankly, I gotta, I gotta manually do all the, the posting, uh, um, to the channels. And, you know, I can't be bothered. It's the same content across the channels. And that's what's forced this issue for me. Um, that the fact that, you know, buffer, you, you can't do one post to three Facebook channels anymore. You can't do one post to, to three Twitter channels anymore. So at that point, I'm thinking, right, this is now more work for me. I can't automate it the way that I used to do it. So therefore, I'm losing interest in this. Uh, so that's why I'll be rationalizing my channels. And really, it's a time management thing. It's the, you know, the 80-20 rule, the where do you get your results from? You get 20% of your results from 80% of your effort and 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. And I'm trying to, um, you know, get it down to the 20% of my efforts, giving me 80% of my results. Um, uh, I feel that I'm doing um, extraneous social media channels for the sake of it, just because I have the numbers on those channels. And as, as part of my continuing rationalization of the things that I do, um, I'm going to start jettisoning some channels. I'm starting to jettison stuff that either I don't enjoy, you know, are a nuisance to me, or frankly, I don't really have a very high value. Um, so 
that's a long way around of telling you that if you follow me on my at secret bunker fan Twitter channel that's going to be disappearing at the end of May and that the right channel to be following me on this is the this is the mothership this is the one that will survive after the nuclear holocaust I will be you'll still still be tweeting there after the bombs go off at, at Paul T UK that's the one to follow me on uh, that's where I'm kind of most active it's where I talk to people most it's my my preferred channel so what else have I got to tell you about um oh yes uh, I am interviewing Gerber Singh next week now, Gabir, we've been talking for a long time, and when we met up at 20 Books to 50K, Gabir's got this big book in his hand, and it's fantastic. And f- from our kind of occasional conversations, I thought this was a book in progress, not published. And um, I said, that's fantastic. It's a huge book. It's like a huge kind of non-fiction reference book. It's an amazing achievement. I said, right, you're, you're coming on the podcast, Gabir. You know, no more no more modesty from you. You're on the podcast. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is how we get people on this podcast. Uh, we press gang them. Um, but actually, Gabir said, yes, uh, Gabir said yes, and I'm really pleased about that. Uh, and the book is called The Indian Space Programme, India's Incredible Journey from the Third World Towards the First. And uh, Gabir is sort of really active with this. Actually, got a really interesting Twitter channel. The, um, the posts are coming up, all sorts of sort of historical uh, information coming up, but really interesting stuff as well coming up on my Twitter feed. So we're chatting uh, on when are we interviewing next week? We're we're chatting on Tuesday of next week, and I'm really looking forward to that. Now, uh, this podcast is getting a little bit scary because, as you know, um, from and I have to remember the dates here. Is it from June or July? I think it's June, isn't it? Uh, we're going to one interview episode per week. Yeah. So we're doing it from the, well, it's the 4th of July. We go to one podcast interview per week. And it's getting quite scary for me now because normally I have about a month to five weeks worth of interviews in the can ready to go. Whereas as I'm winding things down now, for that new frequency of interviews. I've got all my guests booked, actually. I've been booking guests in because I had so many conversations at 20 books to 50K with people uh, that I said, oh, I must get you on the podcast. And because the interview frequency is just about to change, I don't have as many opportunities to interview people. So I thought, right, I need to reach out to the people that I said, I'll get you on the podcast and get them booked in and just explain to them, you know, why the interview frequency is changing and that I haven't forgotten them, that I, I still want to do the interviews. So I'm actually, I've pretty well got booked in across the summer now for my guests really just mopping up people that I promised I would interview or I want to interview from 20 books to 50k but it's getting slightly more scary because um, when I interview Gerbeer on the Tuesday his episode is going to be going out the following Monday now I've never had that shorter lead time for this podcast if somebody goes ill or something you know you're really uh, sort of vulnerable to having an empty slot at that point uh, which is very interesting uh, because I've always had those, you know, I've always been at least sort of three to four interviews ahead. So if somebody had to, been out, had to cry off for whatever reason, I would have had an interview to slot in there. Well, I don't at the moment. I have, I have nothing. So, uh, so it's very interesting. Um, it's a little bit hairy for me because I like to be planned and I like to be on top of these things. So um, yeah, it's interesting that gear change, but I am looking at the amount of time uh, that I've got over summer um and in the evenings now that this it frees up not having to record and process these interviews uh, and and it's it's going to be very kind of handy for me so I, although although it kind of disrupts routine on the podcast 
Um, and it's disrupting my sort of routines and my biorhythms as well, uh, because I'm expect, I always expect to be doing pretty well one interview per week. Um, it is, I think, going to be really helpful for me over summer, um, to help me achieve some of the things I've talked about on this diary that I really haven't been giving my attention to. And one of those is, is marketing and, and, and selling my books properly. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a gear change coming with this podcast. A um, couple of Twitter mentions this week. I thought this was going to be a real short one, actually. It's gone quite a long time, hasn't it? I do apologise for that. A uh, couple of tweets this week. Um, Amelia Hay, who is a former guest on this podcast, uh, has tweeted me, uh, listening to Paul Teague's uh, podcast diary when unpacking my books after moving house. And there's a very nice selection of books on that bookcase. Aren't bookcases fascinating? I mean, I, I do tend to read digitally these days, but I, I still like a good bookcase. You've got a couple of books on there, Amelia, that I've got in my collection as well. So uh, it's funny, isn't it? I can see Hugh Howie's wool there. There's a Dan Brown, some Dan Browns in there, some Lee Childs in there as well. I'm just having a look what else is on there. There's a couple of others I, I think I recognise on there. I can't quite, my eyesight's not quite good enough, but that is a thriller reader's uh, bookcase. Thank you very much, Amelia, for tweeting that, and good luck with the move. I hope it's a very happy move for you. And uh, Pip Reed has won the award for the most remote listening location that I've ever had on this podcast. Now, uh, Pip tweeted me earlier in the week and said, listening to Paul's podcast diary in the Canadian wilderness, snow, snow, and even more snow. And if you go to the resources page for this week's podcast diary, I've put the photos from these tweets on that page and it's a log cabin effectively in the middle of nowhere surrounded by uh, trees which have got snow all over them and and snow there's snow all over the place and it looks like the kind of place you could get trapped in because when I tweeted back to Pip I said you don't need rescuing do you because it is the sort of place that you could get snowed in on now it's amazing the lengths that people will go to to get away from this podcast but even in the middle of nowhere in the Canadian wilderness Pip's still not safe you still can't escape the podcast, Pip. But thank you very much for listening to it. I hope you're having or you've had a fantastic holiday. That looks fantastic just there. Those log cabins look brilliant. So thank you very much for tweeting me, wherever you are. If you're in, it uh, doesn't matter, you know, if it's just doing the groceries or whatever it is. Um, if you're listening on your phone, just take the phone out, take a photo, just show me where you're listening. It's fascinating to see uh, where you are listening and it's great to see those coming in from the UK and all over the world. It's really great to just get that little insight as to where you're listening to either the podcast diary or the interview episode. So thank you very much, Pip and Amelia, for doing that. Um, my guest on Monday is Julie Cordiner. Now, Julie is, is another person. I always said that this podcast is just brilliant for network. And I've met so many people. And in actual fact, a lot of the interviews that you're going to be hearing over the next few weeks are, are on the main people that I've reached uh, or met through this podcast or uh, kind of half met through this podcast and then went on to meet at the 20 books 50k event in London and and one of the things I said in the anniversary episode the two-year anniversary episode of the podcast was that um, the thing that surprised me most about this podcast is just how brilliant it's been for networking and meeting people and making connections with people. Julie is one of those people who I met through this podcast. I went on to meet Julie because she, I say she lives in the same part of the world as me. We live in, in the north. We're at either end, uh, different sides of the country, but we both live in the north. And so I've met Julie also at um, New Writing North uh, events uh, at Newcastle as well, which is close to, to where she lives, just across the, a, the A69 for me, just a, an hour's drive for me. 
And then I also saw Julie again at 20 books 50k and we ended up um, sharing a plane together because uh, we were coming back to Newcastle Airport together after 20 books London. Um, so uh, it's been great again you know chatting to Julie uh, hearing a story um, she goes to the York Writing Festival which is something I have really enjoyed in the past I couldn't make it last year. I uh, don't think I'm going to be able to make it this year, which is a bit frustrating, but I've, I've got children at universities now and I have to keep weekends free um, for shuffling children to university. And I'm sure the event of Festival of Writing this year falls on a uh, packing up bags and taking child to university day. So um, I could do with them moving it to October, really. <laughs> don't they know we've got people at university that we need to transport? Uh, but I'd really like to go to that event. It's a really good event, again, in the north of England, uh, but brilliant event. So anyhow, Julie is my guest on Monday's episode, and uh, Julie has written. So Julie had a 30-year career in education, and she's building a, a non-fiction and online coaching business around that, and a consultancy business around that, and has had no problem with that. She's got on with that. It's very successful. You know, she's doing all the right things, done all the right things, and she's been through the self-publishing process. But she's also got an itch that needs scratching, and that itch is writing historical fiction. And it's interesting when we spoke that uh, by her own admission, Julie will say she's she's got some blocks with the fiction. She's got some sort of imposter syndrome problems with the fiction, even though she's done such a brilliant job of writing the nonfiction. And she's done that as a collaborative writing project, too. So very interesting conversation uh, with Julie, both about nonfiction, about blocks to writing uh, fiction, you know, what those blocks are and how she intends to get over them. Uh, it's a great, great interview. Really enjoyed chatting to Julie. Uh, that's going to be coming up on Monday. That'll be episode 113 of Self-Publishing Journeys with Julie Cordina on Monday, the 23rd of April. Right, I'm recording this on Thursday. I'm jumping on a plane to Heathrow on Friday. I'm spending the whole weekend talking cryptocurrencies and mixing with crypto people, which I'm really, really looking forward to. This is something that's started to take up a lot more of my time and my interest. Uh, it's it's really sort of, uh, and I said I did my first business um, one and a half hour presentation on it to, to corporates this week. Really, really interesting stuff. And this is uh, taking up a lot more of my, my interest and my time, but the writing will continue, of course, around that. So I will come back uh, from the crypto conference and, and get back to the writing and the who to trust edits and all of those sorts of things. And I will join you for another Paul's podcast diary in a week's time. I hope you have a fabulous week of writing and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's podcast diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.